Hello, Encourage Gathering participants and all of you who thought this breakout session sounded a little bit interesting to you. You are listening to Raising Sexually Healthy Kids. My name is Melinda Arnold. I am a licensed professional counselor and a certified sex therapist. I'm also just a parent of a three and almost five-year-old, um, kind of generally interested in this subject. Uh, originally, when this conference was supposed to be live, I looked forward to having um, an interactive time with those who were going to attend. And I still thought that interaction was valuable. So I asked my friend Heidi Sass, who is an amazing high school counselor. She's also a mother of two littles, and she's a good friend of mine who's willing to make this conversation a little bit more interesting for you as well. Say hello, Heidi. Hello. She's awesome. So we're going to, I'm going to be kind of giving you some, a download of information and I'm hoping that Heidi kind of helps process that information alongside with all of you who are listening. Um, We're going to be giving you some prompt questions and my hope is that whether you're listening on your own or with a group, that there's some follow-up time just to reflect on these things um, as it's pretty important in shaping your child's sexuality. So just at the top, I want to give you an idea of what I hope to cover today. The first is defining what healthy sexuality even is, Um, talking about our abilities or challenges and communicating that to our kids, and then also kind of uncovering our attitudes um, and purpose, such as like talking about the why versus the what. So also at the top, I just want to give a warning that this topic can be pretty triggering to some people. And, you know, the benefit of having this as an audio recording is that you can pause at any moment, uh, take a breather, take a walk, do what you need to do. For all of us, I just want to challenge you to notice what's happening in your body as we discuss this topic. If you're noticing you're just fully relaxed, awesome. If you're noticing that you're starting to tense up or feel antsy or you're looking for the exit, that's really good information. And my challenge to you is just to get curious about that. So to kick us off, I wanted to ask Heidi, why does this topic interest you? Oh, it's a good question. Um, Well, I mean, the core of who I am, I'm, I'm a mom. My daughter's four and a half. My son is two and a half. Um, and I think as a parent, I want to raise my kids to be healthy. Um, I think a lot of the decisions I make now um, are guided by kind of this fast forward future lens that I have because I full time work with high school students and you don't usually come to the high school counselor's office unless you have things that you need to talk about <laughs> because you're struggling. And so I think I kind of just, I care about this topic from the perspective of lifespan. You know, what can I do with my kids now so that they can be healthy later? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. I'm going to try not to second guess myself by saying, does that make sense? More than once. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Just be real confident in what you want to say. You and I are, I think we are privileged in a sense that our kids are still real young. 
Mm-hmm. So we get to start thinking about this now, which is a huge benefit to our kids. But for those of you whose kids are older, it's not too late. Even if your kids are adults, it's not too late. This yeah, is such a absolutely. great topic to go back to. Um, but I hear you, Heidi. I have the same desire to think in the future and, and look for ways to shape my kids. Any other thoughts on that? No, I just, I mean, I think it's an important topic. It's one that I think is, can be very challenging for us to engage um, for a lot of different reasons. And so Mm -hmm. I think it, you know, you mentioned at the very start of this to be just kind of aware of your own reactions. And I really feel like that's kind of the starting point for me is that self-awareness. And so, you know, disclaimer, I might have to (laughs) just be in that discomfort at several times in this conversation (laughs) because... I think it's it's a topic where none of us are ever experts. I mean, you're technically you. I mean, legitimately, you you are a certified expert. But for the <laughs> for the rest of us, I think um, it's a it's an area where we're constantly learning and growing, and it can be really really hard to engage. And so I think it is it's a really good and important conversation to have because um, sexuality is an aspect of our lives where you know so many of our vulnerabilities exist and kind of overlap and it's the Mm -hmm. intersection of a lot of different aspects of self. And so I think it's a really important subject to be able to discuss, even though it's sometimes hard. Yeah. I love that. And just for the record, I may be an expert, but this is such a complex issue that a lot of times, especially with my kids, I don't feel like that all the time. That's good. That's why you're good at what you do. kind of feeling our way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think maybe a, a good place to start is even defining what sexuality is. I think that's one of those words that we just kind of use a lot, and we don't even have a great understanding of what that means. Um, so before we even understand what healthy is, I think we just need to look at the greater fr- framework of what sexuality is. So Mark Laser, um, he's a kind of giant, or he was uh, a giant in this field, and he kind of... Uh, breaks this down, breaks sexuality down into five pillars, basically. So the first is physical. Uh, an idea of that is basically sexual, your sexual desire, uh, the sensual experience. Um, it's kind of part of our biology, in a sense. So a healthy version of uh, physical sexuality would be honoring our own body, um, honoring the bodies of the other person that we are with, honoring them as sacred temples, also enjoying the physical pleasure that is ideally mutual, and having a positive attitude towards our bodies and their functions. So really just kind of seeing that as like, wow, this is so awesome. The second is emotional sexuality, Um, the emotional experience of the physical intimacy, such as I feel close or I feel vulnerable or open It might be a negative experience, like I feel closed and disconnected, or I feel in danger. Um, I think the obvious healthy emotional sexuality is that it be positive, that it be connecting. Uh, In the Bible, the word to be known is yada. Um, And that is kind of this perfect word that describes intimacy. Uh, It's complete, it's safe, transparency. It's totally to be known and to be accepted. And that's the kind of emotional experience that you would want um, in any kind of sexual expression. The third is relational. 
relational sexuality. So what's interesting is we're kind of, we're, at this point, we're kind of deviating away from like what we typically think of in, in terms of sexuality. It's not just existing in the act of sex. It kind of exists all the time. Uh, so relational sexuality is the value or love expressed towards others in friendship um, or other relationship and how it impacts the sexual relationship. I model, um, and, and as a lot of you do, healthy relational sexuality to my kids um, by showing them respect, by giving them a voice, uh, by being playful, and they, and also kind of expecting that in return. And that's actually really helpful in, in guiding and building their kind of relational sexuality. So that, again, like healthy relational sexuality is well-rounded relationship or friendship, good friends, supportive, loving attitudes towards one another. It's loving, trusting, playful, healthy, like healthy conflict, etc., etc. The fourth that Mark Laser talks about is called personal sexuality. That's an individual self-worth, their body image, the appreciation of their sex, expression of their gender, um, their sexual beliefs, hang-ups, and wounds. So healthy personal sexuality is like an awareness and compassion towards your own wounds, uh, positive beliefs and attitudes about the act of sex, uh, positive self-concept and body image. And I think most key is progressively addressing any hang-ups that you might have, really open to the discussion. So health, I've talked a lot about with some of my clients, is that it's not necessarily um, an end goal. It's not a place that you arrive to. It's an attitude. It is this attitude of continual... Um, progressive work on yourself, that you're willing to open up to become more aware, to heal the things that may be broken. That is health. So, and that is, is kind of a word of encouragement. That this, I'm not trying to have a discussion of where you, of what single point you all should land on, but rather to challenge you to have um, a posture or an attitude of openness to address your own stuff when it comes to sexuality. That would be healthy. And before I let you talk, Heidi, I just have the last one that Mark Laser talks about is spiritual sexuality. This is the involvement and meaning of God in the sexual relationship and or activity. So healthy might look like the acting out, experiencing of God's intimacy with us through sexuality with one another, bringing heaven to earth through a healthy expression of sexuality via all the categories, so whether that be personal or physical. Um, We experience complete authenticity and exposure with trust. And actually, sex is kind of this great metaphor, the parallels between the intimacy that's required the trust, the vulnerability that happens in sex is a great parallel to the depth of relationship that we can have with God. Um, It's not something that we should, you know, have God on the other side of the door. Like he designed this to be that kind of vulnerability. So Heidi, I just kind of downloaded a lot with those five parts of sexuality. Just kind of wanted to know 
what stood out to you or any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, I love that. I love having lists. That's super <laughs> helpful for me. Um, disclosure, I'm an Enneagram one. So if anybody's familiar with Enneagram, you'll hear that I'm sure. And a lot of the things that I say, um, I think what stood out to me the most is that I'm, I said something earlier that I feel like sexuality is the intersection of so many different aspects of who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, looking at these different five, would you call them pillars? Five pillars. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think the visual you had was like a wheel. So those are getting confused, but, um, pillars (laughs) or... (laughs) aspects of (laughs) spokes of a wheel that's great yeah like that whatever the five things the five things that are important to consider um I just feel like I hear so many aspects of just general health and well-being when it comes to communication humility um when you're talking about awareness and a commitment to growth I just hear so many like tenants of what you hear when we're talking about mindfulness like just being aware of your responses aware of how things are impacting you, being able to receive new knowledge about yourself and move forward. I think for um, anyone who's hesitant or feels any sort of trepidation uh, about engaging in conversations around sexual health or sexuality with their kids, a really good starting point is to think about general health, your general health and well-being. This isn't just a conversation about Mm. the physical act of sex. It's a conversation about who you are as a whole person, how you view yourself, how you treat yourself, how you treat other people, how you communicate, your willingness to grow. And I think that, I mean, if somebody's, if you're having any sort of, um, or, or feeling hesitation in engaging this topic, that can be a really good place to start because we're talking about the health of the whole self mm-hmm. and how that plays into who you are as a sexual being as well. So that's huh. kind of what stood out to me. It's bigger. It's bigger than the physical act. We're not talking about how to have oh, yeah. the birds and bees conversation with the children. It's like, you know, how are you modeling a healthy life so that they can be healthy as well? Yeah. And if we need to imagine, like, how does that, you know, our, our, I think our concept of sexuality has been so small so I think one way in which we can kind of connect this is just to say, how how does this impact ultimately how you show up to the bedroom? Mm, interesting. Yeah. Like a healthy kind of personal sexuality. I, I have a lot of self-respect and I really kind of love my body. That completely changes the way you show up to the bedroom if the if the opposite was true, as an example. Or if the friendship that exists between you and your spouse is poor, that shows up how you show up to the room that impacts how you show up to the room. That's what I'm trying to say. So that might be one way in which we can kind of make sense of how all of this has to do with sexuality. Although it's interesting. I think maybe the root word of sex is, um, or historically it's related to the word sakare, which means to sever or disconnect. And so that's where we get words like sect, dissect, bisect, that kind of thing. And so sexuality is actually all the ways in which we are trying to reconnect. It's our effort to connect to ourselves, to others, to God. So if that's another, I, I see that as kind of a filter or maybe even a litmus test, is what you're doing is the attitude you have building connection or is it disconnecting? Because that might be the difference between what's healthy and what's not. 
I love that. That's such a really, I feel like a daily, uh, applicable daily, that frame of are you building connection? Yeah. I just think, you know, when I, you know, help facilitate an apology, (laughs) not mandate, right? Never mandate. Yes. No, absolutely. When I'm making my two-year-old apologize to his sister for slapping the Hot Wheels out of her hand, you know, we talk about... um, how that might have hurt her and what we could do to repair the relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's encouraging to me to think that even that process of um, being able to frame conflict or frame apologies as how are we rebuilding connection as something that's, you know, building all around healthy humans as well. So I love that yeah. frame that it's about building connection. Yeah. Feel so free to steer it, me you, back on track if I go way no, off in the way. Okay. I love that. You're speaking a lot to that relational sexuality piece. I think, too, in terms of there's so many examples I can draw from, you know, um, personal sexuality. If we have if we're doing sexual acts with our spouse that causes us to disconnect from ourselves in order to be able to do those things, then that's not actually healthy. And that might be a result of we've been abused and we're not over the trauma yet. And what we're doing is like, you know, normal sexual acts. But if it's causing you to have to disconnect from yourself, then there's something unhealthy about what's going on. And that personal sexuality piece needs to be addressed um, in order for it to become healthy, in order for those acts then to be sexually healthy acts. Does that make sense? Yeah. So connection being a really key piece into what we're doing, why we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we feel about it. Um, defining also, we're talking kind of broadly about sexuality, but um, the term sex also, what even is sex, like the act of sex? Healthy sex, well, let's back up, not even healthy sex. Sex is like everything that is physically erotic in nature. I mean, it could be holding hands or kissing all the way to any kind of um, penetration, like vaginal intercourse, but it's not limited to that. I think that a lot of times we think that that's it, right? If you, if you ask the question, what makes a virgin, you usually have in mind they haven't had vaginal intercourse, which is laughable honestly because of all of the other sexual activities that we have so really expanding our idea of what sex is and then talking about what healthy sex is it's intentional intimate mutually beneficial physical connection with someone else so again that's intentional intimate mutually beneficial physical connection so if there's two rules that I would have about helping people discern, is my sexual relationship or is my sexuality healthy? It's, it doesn't build connection, and is it mutually beneficial? Those would be kind of the two things, the framework or the, the lens to kind of filter your, your thoughts through. So as we're parenting, are we talking about this or are we presenting the idea of sexuality as a way to connect or as a or something to be afraid of, which honestly I think is, is often the way that it's presented, right? It's something to be afraid of as we're 
talking about that to children or to teenagers. And so, Heidi, you got any input on that? <laughs> yeah, I'm having, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to high school. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in an evangelical Christian church in the height of I Kissed Dating Goodbye and the whole... Um, I don't know, I would call it a, not a purity movement, but I would say that, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of my, is that actually a thing? Did I just, yeah. Did you have a purity ring too? I don't, I feel like I had one, but it didn't fit. So I didn't wear it, but I didn't have to because Enneagram one, I wore it with my life. You know that for sure. Um, uh, (laughs) no, I think, um, I, I think most voices that engage in this topic present sex as something to be afraid of or something to be not afraid of at all. It's very polarized. And so mm-hmm. having a conversation around something that's intentional building connection um, is a completely different uh, approach to the topic than what I was used to, what I grew up mm-hmm. with and <clears throat> in my home and also in my um, social and my faith community as well. Did you ever get the the sex talk growing up in home? You know, I'm, I don't remember like one glaring talk. My mom mm-hmm. was a labor and delivery nurse. And so like <laughs> conversations about bodies, et cetera, were really like <laughs> just commonplace and just part of, you know, my atmosphere growing up. Yeah. But I, I just, I remember one conversation in particular. It wasn't like the talk I'm doing quotations for those of you, all of you who can't see me, no one can see me, <laughs> but Melinda right now. Um, and it was, it was when I was in high school. And at that point, the, the volume on my parents' voice and wisdom in my life had been turned down because developmentally as a mm-hmm. teen, you push back from your parents. And so the, the louder voices in my life were the voices that I had chosen to accept as wise. And my mom telling me that you know, if you think you're going to have sex, we can get you on birth control. I'm there for you. Like she was really open and available and ready to have that conversation with me. But, um, I think because that was maybe the first time we had had an explicit Mm -hmm. conversation, uh, I was, there was no way I was going to have that conversation with her. So yeah, no, absolutely not. Also, um, no mom, absolutely not. That is not a decision I'll be making for myself. I'm sure I shut it down (laughs) as fast as, as I could. Oh my gosh, the one, the one in you. I think my mom's a nurse too, so we had some similar upbringing. As far as the biology, that was something I was well versed in. Yeah. I I totally understood how babies are made. I understood to expect and what to expect with my period. Yes. But as far as the sexual relationship, I feel like that was a little less covered. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the mechanics yeah. and the biology of it were just mm-hmm. absolutely I knew about that. I mean, I knew about cervixes dilating <laughs> because of our dinnertime conversations. Yeah, but like, I really appreciate it because when I had questions, I knew that it was an open conversation and I knew I could go to her with that and it was not awkward at all. I yeah. really appreciated that. Yeah, um, but physical being one of the five. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, common experiences that I've heard is that they, um, at least in my office, is that people don't often get any kind of conversation, uh, even about biology. I think that you and I are might be the exception because our mothers were in healthcare, um, but a lot of people don't get anything. It's just silent on the topic, whether that be mm-hmm. the physical or the relational. I've also heard this one 
many times, like shockingly many times, is that, well, I never had the talk, but I noticed for a week there was a book on the coffee table (laughs) about puberty or the birds and the bees, and then after a week it was gone. Oh, like... Yeah. Choose your own education. Here's yeah. a book. Are you going to crack the cover or not? <laughs> but I'm not even going to tell you the book is there. It's just around. Um, it's just, so I think, it's so clear. This is just not something that we will discuss. Not something exactly. we're comfortable discussing. Yeah. Yes, Heidi. Exactly. I think there's something. The silence speaks loudly. Mm-hmm. What we're not saying says something. So, yeah. So less common. Honestly, I take a lot of people's sexual histories. It's interesting. And I always appreciate it when people go there with me because I know it's very personal. But what's not common is that sexuality is discussed beyond reproduction or puberty. Like what it even is or what healthy healthy is. And, And even more so, like talking about sex with a positive regard is pretty rare. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's bad, 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 bad until you get married, and then it's something to celebrate. At least that was the predominant, like totally. That was the outline that, whether it was explicitly stated, was very clearly communicated. Not necessarily from my parents, but definitely from, I think the the community that I was a part of at at that stage of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a that's that's quite a that's quite a one eighty for your brain and body to. Yeah. Do a direction change on that in the span of a day. <laughs> Valid point, Heidi. Valid. That's a different conversation. We'll curb that one. That is a different conversation. Would be a great one. So I guess my challenge to the listeners is something to think about, maybe even to discuss with your friends if, if you're with them or call them and have the discussion uh, against their will. That's fine, too. What was your experience <laughs> with sexual education in your family growing up? What was your exposure to the topic? And was it positive or negative? Did the talk hap- happen just once or was it kind of an ongoing discussion? Um, how I kind of am curious too, and I wish I could hear back from you all, but how comfortable was it to have that conversation if it happened? So just a quick, I for those of you who really like concrete rules and that kind of stuff, I think Heidi's one of them because she's a one. Mm-hmm. Am I right, Heidi? Yeah. So I here's like a list a good, of things as yeah. far as like tips is um, when you, you want to do the talk well. You do the talk a lot. So that's your first rule is that it's happening all the time um, at every age and stage. You're talking about sexuality at least in pieces along the way. There's some great books um, that I can recommend if there's an opportunity to, to put a recommendation list together f- for this, I will I will do that. Otherwise, you guys can email me and I'll be happy to uh, recommend some books uh, based on how old your kids are. Uh, if you are married, um, those talks do not have to be limited to just one person. In fact, if the couple can talk together, that would be great. Also, it doesn't have to be gender specific, which is good news for me because I only have boys. Um, It doesn't have to be dads only talk to sons, moms only talk to daughters. It's actually really, it has a lot of, I think, a lot of honor when we kind of mix the gender as far as who's talking to who. Um, Emphasize the positive. You know, we we warn our kids a lot, and there's some good warnings 
there really are. There's a lot of responsibility and a lot of risk when it takes when what it comes to sex and sexuality but we that has to be what we minor in and what we major in is the positives um reflect their identity and their worth in this conversation as much as possible if you need an example of that it would be um you know, if you're talking to your teenagers about sex and, and, and trying to steer them maybe towards waiting, it might be not because this would change you or this would make you awful. It's because you're so worthy of having something that is safe, that is um, intimate, that is in the confines of, of um, commitment and love. And there's something really beautiful that you wish for your child in that way. Um, so there's just ways to talk about it in a way that really uplifts the value of your child. Um, the next it would be thinking about why don't we talk about this? Um, why might these conversations be hard to have? And I know this doesn't feel like a, a rule as far as how to have the conversation, but it is, it's necessary because you need to know what's holding you back um, and understand how you can, might get past those things. So think to yourself, what are some sexual difficulties or wounds that I have? Maybe I need to start exploring some of the bad attitudes or beliefs that I have. And we'll have some exercises later on just maybe to get the juices flowing to help you with that. So again, if you're with some friends, maybe just reflect together why it might be hard to have these conversations. Heidi, do you have any idea as to what makes these conversations so difficult? Um, I think that, I think it's different for every person and every story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lack of practice, I think because we don't necessarily, um, across the board have these conversations very frequently. It's, we're just, we're not in, we don't have a good script necessarily in our head. We, the words aren't familiar, the phrases, the way to answer these questions isn't something that we've worked through. And so it's really easy to feel like you're just stumbling blind. Um, I think the point, the last point that you just made about thinking about, I I would call it like your flinch point, like where, Mm. what are the subjects that that. the topics that make you really flinch is so important. So from, I'm switching hats from the mom hat to the high school counselor hat. Um, one of the things that I have to wear, um, every day in my office is like a poker face where whatever you bring into my office, whatever, conversation you're going to throw down I need to be able to provide a space that's communicates safety and communicates to my students you know this topic that is weighing on you is not too big for me because in that Mm -hmm. moment it's not about me it's not about what I'm feeling it's not about whoa what did you just unload in my office it has so much more to do with creating safety for them to think um, and process. And so I think it's so important for us to know as parents what your flinch points are and to really work, do the work on your own to even practice, like talking to the mirror, talk through some of those, those sticky points for you Mm -hmm. where things are challenging that where you do flinch so that you are able to engage in that specific topic with your kid without flinching. Because Kids are so sensitive to those nonverbal cues that we give. If we're communicating, I'm uncomfortable with this topic, they're going to yeah. back out as fast as they possibly can. But if if we as the adults can engage in the topic and engage in the conversations, 
in, in a space of um, peace and freedom and, and we're calm mm-hmm. um, and comfortable, that is going to create safety and comfort for them to be able to engage in something that there could be a lot of fear or a lot of shame around. If what we're communicating through our words or our, our physical like presence is discomfort, then all that we're communicating to them is this is not a conversation. I'm not a safe person to have this conversation with. And so I think that's, um, and and we all do that. that. We Mm -hmm. have those moments. I mean, and, and okay. So those moments where, Oh, I just bailed. I wrecked that conversation because I wasn't ready to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not never a dead end. I think that's just a perfect opportunity to model, that growth value that we discussed earlier where, okay, yeah. then you intentionally revisit it with your kids and say, okay, Hey, I'm sorry for what I brought to that. I, <laughs> that just kind of blindsided me, but I, I, you had some really, really valid thoughts and I, I really want to hear more where you're coming from. Can we, can we revisit this conversation? Yes. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that it's not, it's not like you have one chance be ready. No. No, there's, there's something that we're modeling actually in coming back and saying, I'm sorry. So that's humility, mm-hmm. which is a mm-hmm. great quality. It's a great sexual quality, too. Um, but that that we are resilient. There can be coming back from those conversations. And that's maybe more powerful sometimes. So it's not too Let's late. hope so, because I have to do it a lot. So <laughs> yeah. I'm a Cross my fingers and hope that that's, <laughs> that I'm going to keep telling myself that. Yeah. No, but I think, um, I, sorry, there is a sneeze in the background in my house. Um, I think, so I would say, I mean, the more work you can do, we can do on ourselves in individually to process through this topic, the more comfort we will be able to provide for our, our kids, our own children or any, any kids that we're fortunate enough to have these conversations with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's the investment by looking at the stuff that's hard to look at within ourselves where we are investing in hopefully building comfort and, and confidence in the, the youngers that we really, really care about. Um, and then the other thing I would say just practically, I love asking a follow-up question when somebody drops a question on me or drops a piece of information on me that I, uh, I just like <laughs> record scratch mentally and I have no no idea. I'm like, I need to stall. I need to stall. I, I think it's so helpful to just practice asking questions that will buy you time. Like, wow, that's a really great question. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that. Can you unpack that for me? Like, this is a really, ah, such a great question that you ask. Can you tell me more about why this is weighing on your mind? And then while they're talking, I'm scrambling to gather myself, but behind that poker face. So what I'm communicating to the kid is safety and yeah. yeah I'm really yeah this is yeah it's not that. about it's not about me it's about it it's about our kids it's not about our right. discomfort or our issues so we have to if we have whatever issues we have because we all have them you got to mm-hmm. work through them so that those conversations can be about giving our kids the tools and the information they need to be healthy humans I'm hearing you say like that there's always this orientation towards your child's experience and there, there is like this need to be at a place enough where you can tune out your own reaction and be present with your child. Or at least yeah. be aware of your own reaction so that you can say to yourself, we'll deal with that tonight. Let's, yeah. just, let's just hang out in this conversation right here, right now. Um, which I think is, 
is part of that healthy attitude, right? That that actually is evidence that you've done some work that you can do that. I'd also add that I think buying time is appropriate to say, hmm, I don't know, or I'm kind of caught off guard. Let me come back to that with you. As long as you actually come back to it with the child, no matter what their age. Because um, if you don't, that speaks volumes as well. Sure. So in a timely matter, kind of coming back to that conversation and opening it up again um, is, a, I think, would be appropriate as well, especially if you're caught off guard. Anyway, good thoughts, Heidi. Thank you. Heidi sauce, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Which, you know, you're, you're kind of transitioning. Sorry, did you have something more? Oh, I was just going to say, and also, I just think as parents, we often put so much pressure on ourselves to do things right, do yeah. things perfect. Again, shout out Enneagram Ones. Um, but I think, so in, in addition to being driven to do things the best, the perfect, the right way the first time, um, I'm also, for better or for worse, an incredibly transparent person. And so for me, one of the things that I've I've really seen my students and my kids benefit from is my my comfort in just acknowledging what's happening internally uh-huh. for me so sometimes I can wear that poker face and ask some questions and and just be present for this the kid who's sitting right in front of me but then other times there's no hiding it and I just have to say like wow I'm sorry like I am just processing like I just <laughs> I had a that wow that was a lot I'm just I'm, I'm sorry I'm gonna need to take a second to process what you know you just said I think we have to be kind to ourselves mm-hmm. um in a in a way that like I think self-kindness, like being able to be aware without judgment, um, is just is something we all should, can, yeah. often practice. That was I a special that. sentence. Should, can, <laughs> often practice. Just be kind to yourself. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great um, transition, actually, Heidi. Thank you for that. Because um, more than just the talk, how we model sexuality is much more important. So paying attention to how we're modeling. And that might be modeling within a conversation about sexuality, but more likely it's modeling through our relationships or through our attitudes or through how we interact with our kids. So because if we can understand our own feelings and beliefs about sexuality, we may be able to know what we're non-verbally communicating to our kids, positive or negative. It's so important to understand what's going on. I, I challenge you at the top of this to, to pay attention to what's going on in your body. So body attunement is super helpful. It's, it's, it's a huge cue as far as your comfort level, and I think Heidi, you talked about that really well. Um, but paying attention, if you can understand your own reactions and get curious about them and know where they're coming from and maybe even correct them, you're going to have a lot more command as far as what you're intentionally modeling to your kids. Um, to help our kids have healthy sexuality, we need to have healthy sexuality too. And again, healthy is not a destination. It is the process. Um, so lots of grace there, but if you are processing through it, if you're working on it, then that's a great model for our kids. It's the requirement's not perfection. The requirement is that you're actively and progressively working through your own stuff. I've read some really encouraging quotes from um, some other authors recently on this. Joseph Chilton Pierce says, What we are teaches the child more than what we say. 
So we must be what we want our children to become. Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson wrote, um, it's actually how well we've made sense of our experiences with our own parents and how sensitive we are to our children that most powerfully influence our relationship with our kids and therefore how well they will thrive. Ultimately, you know, he's Daniel, these two, Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson do a lot of research on the whole brain child. And really what they've come, they've boiled it down to is that you don't have to be a perfect parent. You have to be a parent in process. And that is what is most helpful to your child um, becoming a thriving, healthy person. So obviously modeling is our second major principle. Yes, talk about it, but also model. So what are we communicating in our words, our behavior, and our relationships? Do you know what you're modeling? Um, I think an, an example of this is uh, body image. How do you talk about your body in front of your kids? How do you look at yourself in the mirror in front of your kids? Is it with this like critical eye or do you look at yourself with a smile and a look of satisfaction? Do you talk about yourself with, with positive terms? <clears throat> this is huge. And not just of moms, of girls, but also of parents, both moms and dads, of girls and boys. I think another example would be respecting boundaries. So like tickling. My kids know if they say stop, even if they're still laughing and they say stop, I stop. I actually have to have an invitation to start tickling again. There's no, there's no playful pushing the boundaries there because I want them to know that their no means something. And I want them to respect the no of others as well. And knowing that they have a voice is, is real huge. Um, knowing that they can honor the voice of someone else is really huge too. And you can imagine how that impacts a sexual relationship. Uh, before I do some attitude exploration with you, Heidi, I just wonder if you had more to say on the topic of modeling and maybe yeah, some examples. I oh, I love it. I'm just, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just um, listening to you talk and I'm just like sitting here nodding my head. I think we have a lot of shared values when it comes to that is that in the personal, the personal category? Uh -huh. of, yeah. Yes. Yes. Nailed it. I'm taking notes. Look at me <laughs> learning. Um, I think for me, something that was um, really important. I remember when I was um, pregnant with my first, my daughter came first. Um, I, I made a commitment to her before she was even born. And my commitment was that my daughter will never hear me complain about my body. Um, because regardless of how much encouragement I received, and I received a ton of encouragement growing up. I also heard the adults, um, in my family be very, very critical of, of their own appearance. And that was a commitment that I made to my daughter. She'll never, ever hear me complain. Um, and that's actually done wonders for my, I mean, it's, it's helped interrupt a lot of the unhealthy narratives that I have lived with for a really long time because I, I, I've stuck with it four and a half mm -hmm. years. I'm like a, an addict on negative self-talk trying to like get clean from those, you know, those negative narratives of, uh -huh. um, also just trying to embrace imperfection. I think the areas of my body where I'm most insecure, I try to actively celebrate with mm -hmm. my kids, you mm -hmm. know, we'll like, um, 
will laugh at, you know, tummies and will laugh at bodies, not in a mean or a critical way, but in a way that's like celebrating, like, this is such a great, look yeah. how much everything moves when mommy dances, <laughs> or I don't even know. We don't need to get too specific, but we do in our house. Yeah. Um, I also love, I mean, let's get really explicit with it when you're talking about boundaries and no meaning no, we're teaching consent to our kids now. Yes. Um, And I love that as a mom of, of sons, I have a son, you have two, I think. um, And as, as a, as a parent of a daughter as well, the conversation is so important to have with both kids, um, with both genders and boys, girls, everyone in between. Consent is a universal conversation that we need to be having from Mm -hmm. a really early age. Mm -hmm. And it's appropriate to have the conversation as your no means no. Um, I also, something I do is I, I'll narrate what I'm doing when I'm like helping my kids in the bath or when they're in an area where they're like most vulnerable, like, um, I don't know, like my daughter has night terrors and one of the things that helps her transition out of night terrors is walking down the hallway and going to the bathroom. And so when I'm helping her with that and she's in that really vulnerable state, like I will tell her what's happening while it's happening Mm -hmm. to say like, I'm Mm going to help you now. I'm going to help you. Like I'm going to help you get your pajamas off. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm helping take your pajamas off just because I'm trying to model that respect that, um, she's in control of her body. You are in charge of your body. Um, and your brother's in charge of his body and we don't violate each other's space or, um, I don't know. Those are the conversations that we have in our house. So that was a little jumbled, but those are the thoughts that came to mind while I was listening to you talk is one, um, my children will not, my commitment that my children will not hear me complain about myself. That means Mm -hmm. my husband gets it after they go to bed. Um, (laughs) he'll get the complaints, but they won't. Um, and, um, and just modeling that no means no and, and just respect for her body, for my son's body from, from day one. Yeah. I I'm putting lotion on. You've got some dry spots on your booty. Is it okay yes. if I put some lotion on your booty? Okay. I'm putting lotion on your booty right now. Does that feel better? Okay. Moving on. I, you know, the, the topic of consent is, is not just between people who are dating or messing around. You know, it, it actually really matters within the context of marriage too to have to have the freedom to say no and to know that your no is respected um and then it's not going to be taken personally it's that you still have a voice even in this institution of marriage is important to know that your voice will be respected and that's not just for the woman it's for the man too it's for both people in this um marriage that you that you feel this freedom to speak up for yourself and that allows you to respect the boundaries and respect the desires of the other person better as well. So consent being a really big topic, even in a healthy, committed relationship. Yeah, and it's not just the word no. I mean, we have serious conversations around the word no and stop, but we also say... um, you know, cause my kids, sometimes they'll just scream at each other and we'll say, Hey, he was saying, no, he might not have been using those words, but he was clearly telling you that he was not happy with what was happening. And so yeah. you have to, you have to hear if he screams and he's pulling back away from you, that means he doesn't want to play in your room right now. So <laughs> like that was him saying, no, it's, it's not yeah. just the word. Well, thanks. That's really great insight, Heidi. Thank you. I know we're kind of coming up with sh- on short. We're coming up short with time. Speaking is not one of my strengths. 
Um, it is. Don't you don't you do that? <laughs> We're um, probably running short on time because I speak in paragraphs when a sentence would do, but it's all good. Um, if there was one thing I'd I'd really love for the listeners of uh, this breakout session to take away, it's can you develop a vision or a set of values that you want to instill in your kids? So beyond specific behaviors, how do you hope that your kids esteem or experience their sexuality and how they view sex? So as you think about talking and modeling to your kids, are you fearful of what they're going to experience or excited about what they are going to experience? Can you kind of minor on the fear and major in the excitement and really communicate that to them? And what are you excited about? It's a helpful exercise for parents to, you know, especially if you're in a team, like you're married to someone who's really invested in this also, or you have like family members who are helping you raise your kids. Have this conversation together and come up with a specific set of values, a vision of what you want um, to communicate with excitement to your kids. Dr. Ryan Hosley uh, quoted to me once, fear is a lousy GPS, but values is not. If we're trying to guide our kids with this fear tactics of let's avoid this, let's avoid that, it's so scary, it's so bad, we're not actually directing them anywhere good. Um, we need to give them a destination that is hopeful, that is that is uh, has anticipation, that is bright, that is beautiful, that is good, capital G, good. So Cliff and Joyce Penner have five values that, that they suggest. I'll just go through them real fast. One, sex is good and of God. Two, sexual curiosity is natural. Three, sexual responsiveness is natural. Four, sexual responsibility belongs to everyone. Speak up for yourself. Five, mutual respect is the guide for all sexual relationships. So think back to the five elements of sexuality. Consider what you want your kids to experience in each of these areas. Really, like, pause and look through each of those elements. Um, what do we call it? Spokes of the wheel um, of sexuality that we covered at the top of this. What is it that you want them to experience or to or, or attitudes to have in each of those areas. So doing the work to create that vision of values allows you to be intentional about what you're modeling. It's not just reactive. It's, it's this intentionality of, I want to show up this way. Oh, here's an open window. Here's how I want to respond to this. Because you're prepared with a roadmap, truly. So that's kind of the end for, I know this is kind of like a really broad, huge concept, huge uh, topic, and we're trying to cover as much as we can in a short amount of time. But Heidi, I just wanted to give you an opportunity for some final reflections, if anything came up. Um, I just, I, I will just say an encouragement that by repeating what you said earlier, what was it that, um, Healthy isn't the destination, it's the process. Yeah. Um, and being able to give grace to yourself. I mean, the fact that you're even listening to this talk shows that you're invested in building 
um, health for your kids in this area. And I think one of the, the biggest encouragements that I would give is to find people who can be truth tellers in your life when you need help working through some of this stuff. Cause we all need help working through it. I mean, Minna, I think I called you once when I <laughs> found myself, I mean, we all have different reactions to things, um, whether it's a socially conditioned reaction from how we grew up or because of trauma that we've experienced or wherever the root cause is. Um, but I think my kids were like exploring their bodies and my initial reaction was no, 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 no. Um, and you laughed at me and you were like, yeah, don't do that. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, I I'm saying that like, those are the words that it's coming out of my mouth. That's not helpful. And you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not helpful at all. And I was like, okay, what do I do? Like, I don't know where that's coming from, but we got to figure that out. And so I think, um, be gracious to yourself, yeah. um, and be willing to, have conversations with people who are, are willing to be in it with you. Um, cause that's the only way we get through this is by, um, pulling wisdom from the collective experience around us. So thank you for being wisdom for me. I'll just take this time to say, thank you. I'm grateful for you. Same. Um, and thank you to everybody who's listening because it's a, an important topic and we are as parents, the primary guiding force in our kids' lives. And uh, that's, it's a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's a, <laughs> we have the right to be, it's a gift and it's a responsibility. And so I think, thank you for even taking the time to think through, um, cognitively, emotionally, um, physically, spiritually being present in this conversation and don't stop. This is the beginning. Yeah. There's a lot of voices out there. Let's be the loudest for our kids. And the one that's trusted from the get-go like yeah. if you start having these conversations now then when kids hear wonky things in the hallways at middle school or elementary school let's uh -huh. be real um you have already established yourself as the primary source of wisdom and expertise on this topic and they can come to you yeah um and if you're coming into the conversation later in life and your kids are already at that stage I think answering their questions honestly um and being honest with yourself and just being present with them in it, um, and, and working to provide a safe space where their voices can be heard. That's, that will, that goes a long way. Yeah. Good word, Heidi. Heidi sauce, everyone. She's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, so next steps, if this topic is interesting to you and you'd like to know more, feel free to email me. Um, I, I'm happy to give you a list of resources, I also want you to know that I do offer a healthy kids, um, healthy sexually healthy kids workshop for parents and caregivers. If that's something that interests you, also email me. My email address is Melinda at waypointpdx.com. Uh, that's Melinda at waypointpdx.com. I hope to start another one soon. We'll see about this whole COVID-19. We might just have to be online. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but thank you all again for spending this time with us. Um, it's really an honor, and it's exciting to be able to talk about this topic with some parents. Take care, everybody.